right, so the scripture today is from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amity, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out for his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck, where he lay down and fell asleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, but he will not, so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible, responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? And from what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. You know, just a few uh, weeks ago, I was driving to church. Uh, hopefully this is not too much of a confession. I'm sure you've all done it. Uh, but I was driving to church, and by the time I got in the parking lot, I realized I don't remember driving to church. It's my, it's my commute. It wasn't on a Sunday. You weren't all on the road. Uh, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm driving. I leave my house. I put all of the driveway, and it's like you just go into this, like, mental zone thing. I hope it's not just me. Um, and, and sometimes you just kind of go through the motions. And now I'm pretty sure if, if something chaotic were to have happened, I would have snapped out of it, right? I mean, I don't think I was, like, totally gone. Um, but it's kind of alarming, and it, and it happens to us. Uh, sometimes it happens on purpose. I don't know if you've ever had that. It's a good idea when you're like working out. You go for a jog and you're like, oh Lord, just let me zone out. <laughs> let me wake up mentally in, in a mile uh, and I will be much happier uh, riding a bike or something like that. And um, I don't know if any of you remember this way back in the day. Um, mowing the lawn was always a good time to zone out. Some of you have lawns now. I'm impressed, but I'm looking at them. Uh, but I, I don't, and I enjoy not mowing it anymore, but it was always a great time to zone out, right? You just kind of do this repetitive pattern, and you just go back and forth. Uh, I was mentioning this to William, our 10-year-old, and he said math class uh, was his time. <laughs> so 
we might have to talk more about that. <laughs> but apparently math time can be your time to zone out. Um, you know, it can be, of course, dangerous. It's not, it's not the goal, especially with something like driving, right, <laughs> where, where you're doing something pretty important. Um, but what I think is the more dangerous part is that if we think about it, we can do this spiritually also. Uh, and I'm just going to start right into it in this sermon, so hold on. Uh, because we can do this spiritually. We can just check out for a season of time. We can just cease seeing what God is doing in the world. We'll, we'll just kind of go through the motions, everyday life. And, and maybe it's 10 minutes, and if it's only 10 minutes, you know, may the Lord bless you. Uh, but often it's 10 minutes, or it's 20 minutes, or it's an hour, or it's a week or a month, or we look back and, and we wake up and realize the last three years we don't know what's been going on spiritually. Uh, it's like you just go to church because you're supposed to go to church. Uh, you sing the songs because you're supposed to sing the songs. You, you listen with your ears, but it's like your ears are turned off. You don't see what God is doing. You don't see God out in the world. You don't see God alive and active. You, you go in, out into your everyday lives, but you, but you see nothing of what God is doing. And you're just uh, either so tired that you've entered into this, this state of not even being able to like, rest in God, or, uh, or for some reason you've just kind of zoned out spiritually. Um, so for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to call this spiritual apathy. I remember in ninth grade, a teacher getting really mad at us about apathy in her class. And it's this great word that has stuck with me ever since. And it was because no one was doing their homework. No one was doing their stuff. No one was, no one was focusing. No one cared. No one cared at all in the class. And she got so fed up with it, and she made us write a whole paper about apathy and what apathy means and, and why we don't care uh, in the class. But it, it can be true spiritually. You know, why, why do we not care? Do we care? Are we connecting with God? Are we feeling God? Or has or this just become going through the motions? And the reason I bring this up is as we dive in here, uh, and I'll pause there, For that was a Jonah pun, by the way. Dive in. It was pretty good. It was good. I, I snuck it in there so you didn't like see it coming, but that was a solid Jonah pun. Anyway, as we dive in uh, to Jonah chapter 1, um, this sermon series is called The Runaway Prophet, and I talked a little bit about it last week, but, but my main goal of this is not that we look at some old uh, book in the Bible and think, wow, we learned some stuff about Jonah. Uh, that would be wonderful, but there's actually a lot more here. The book of Jonah is a wonderful book to be read as a mirror. And what I mean by that is, is we hold it up and as we read the book, we learn about Jonah, we learn about what's going on, and, and there's times in the book where all of a sudden the book becomes a mirror and it reflects ourselves back at us. And it reflects often not a very flattering image, an image of, of who we are, but we've been kind of hiding it. So, for example, when, when Jonah doesn't want to go to the Ninevites because he's not sure if they're worthy of God's grace we instantly think, gosh, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like Jonah. And then like a wave, it hits us. There's a wave. There you go. Like a wave. I didn't mean that one. Uh, 
And then like a wave, it hits us that we are like Jonah. That there's people in our world that, that we are not sure are worthy of God's grace. That, that God has forgiven us, but, but I don't know about those people, Lord. Uh, and it's hard. And like I said, it, it's a mirror, but it shows an ugly truth. So as we get in here, Jonah chapter 1, uh, read for you just a few minutes ago, there's so much uh, to cover. Starting in verse 1, this is, these are the verses from last week. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So again, a recap of last week. Here we find the prophet Jonah behaving in a very unprophet-like way to behave, right? We're told right away that he's a prophet, but yet God tells him to go do something. God tells him to go speak to people, and he runs the opposite way. So that should strike us as odd. Uh, this should not be the normal behavior of a prophet. A prophet's job was to hear from God and to tell that message to the people that God is sending him to. And here Jonah does hear from God. That part he has done, but then he runs away. And he runs really far away. So the question in us is, why did he run? Why is Jonah running away from God? And uh, spoiler alert, we find out in chapter 4 his answer. Uh, and it's because Jonah knew how much God loved to forgive. It's not that he's afraid of them. It's not that he thinks the Ninevites are like going to kill him when he shows up. He's not, he's not afraid. He's afraid of how loving God is. He's like, if I go there, I know that you are eager to forgive these Ninevites. And Jonah does not want them to be forgiven. Again, leads us into this place of thinking, wow, Jonah, he's a really terrible prophet. I'm glad I'm not like that. And then the mirror flips on, right? And then, and then we think, ooh, in what ways am I like that? What is going on in my own heart? See, Jonah knew that God loved to forgive. He knew that God was slow to anger and abounding in love. And while this should be good news, it was not to Jonah. He wanted nothing more than to see the Ninevites be destroyed. For all they had done. His heart had become so calloused that he wanted the Ninevites obliterated by God's wrath. He wanted to see their cities knocked down to the ground. He wanted to see their armies crushed. He wanted to see their great walls that have protected them for many years. He wanted to see them shattered by God's power. He wanted to see God act as a force of power and a force of rage upon them, not as a source of unexplainable grace and love and forgiveness. And this doesn't come out of nowhere, right? We've talked about this uh, last week where, where the Ninevites had been cruel. They had been awful. They had been awful to the Israelites. They had been awful to the other people around them. They had uh, been vicious and how they treated others. They had terrorized the other nations. 
that lived around them. They, they conquered areas. They killed the men and they enslaved the women and children. They tore down cities and they tore down altars to God. And Jonah wanted to see God's wrath poured out on them. To Jonah, the idea that God could possibly forgive them if only they repented and turned back to him was, dare I say, revolting. It turned his stomach and it turned his posture into a posture where he he decided, I'm going to run away from God. What choice do I have? I I have the choice of listening to God, going to these people, and and God is going to forgive them. And and that is uh, just not a choice he can live with. So he decides that he's going to run away. And maybe, just maybe, by one prophet running away and not listening, God will forget the silly idea of reaching out to the Ninevites. Again, Jonah, come on. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I mean, we laugh because it's silly. He's dealing with God here. But but maybe, maybe if he's not faithful to what God is saying, uh, and that mirror is an ugly mirror, (laughs) But maybe if he's not faithful, then maybe God will just forget this nonsense after all. So he goes to Tarsus, which is in modern-day Spain, 2,000 miles in the wrong direction. He starts sailing for there. Um, he, he goes, I imagine Jonah going to the seaport, and, and I don't know how it worked back then, but I imagine a bulletin board that has all the locations you know, listed and, and when the boats are departing, and, and he picks them out, and, and okay, 2,000 miles away, that seems like a good destination for me. Uh, That might just be far enough. And uh, he sets sail. And we get to verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break apart. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, but Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So there's this great wind, there's this violent storm that has come, it is so strong that we hear that the ship is threatening to break itself apart, which is strange in Hebrew. The ship itself is thinking to itself, I should maybe break apart, (laughs) Uh, is how that is actually written. Uh, which I just love. And uh, so if you can imagine the ship is, is threatening, uh, I'm going to break apart. And, and we're told, uh, we are told that it is God who sent the storm. Uh, we know that, but they don't necessarily know that. And yet we're also told that the sailors could tell that there was something going on here. The sailors could tell that this was no ordinary storm. They knew storms. Like, I think sometimes we think of these kind of polytheistic, they have multiple gods kind of nations, like, like everything's divine to them. And like, but that's not what's going on. I mean, these are sailors. They're out on the sea all the time. They know storms. They know weather cycles. They, they know that there's good times of year and bad times of year to be out on the water. They, uh, they know storms and rain can just happen. Not everything to them is always divine. Uh, but yet here, they know clearly that something is happening. Something divine is happening to the point 
where each of them, in, in a wonderfully uh, polytheistic way, again, they have multiple gods all over the place, they each start praying to their own gods. They're all from different countries, they're all from different cities, and they all have different gods that are in charge of, of the sea. And they, they're like, okay, you pray to yours, you pray to yours, you pray to yours. Like, we're just going to send up a bunch of prayers, and hopefully something sticks, because, because one of our gods is angry right now. And, and we don't know, so, so all we can do is cower and, and hope that we happen to pray to the right one and learn what is going on. So they send this out, uh, all these prayers, just hoping something sticks, uh, but they are aware that God is doing something. Verse 5 said, All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own God. And then it continues, And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he laid down and fell asleep. So they threw the cargo in. Uh, they didn't just stop at the spiritual answer. We're going to pray, and then we're going to see how it goes. They're in a really bad situation here. This cargo is, this is why they're doing it. Uh, this is what's uh, going on. They, they've gone uh, to the ancient Near East. They've gotten people, but they've also gotten this cargo. And, and they're going to sail back, and they're going to make a bunch of money. Uh, and it might not even be their own money they're playing with at this point. Uh, there's probably someone richer back home. And this is not truly even their cargo. But, but they are so afraid for their lives, and they know that they are going to die, that they're willing to throw all of their profits, everything that they've, that they've earned here, they're dumping that overboard. They're trying to lighten the load of the ship, hoping that just maybe uh, they can live. So this is not some little wave in the ocean. This is a vicious storm that has come upon them. And the sailors could not be more aware of the situation they are in. But where is Jonah? He's asleep at the wheel. We hear that Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. So Jonah is oblivious to what is going on. God is doing something. God is doing something mighty right outside, and Jonah is oblivious. He's blissfully unaware of the chaos that is around him, a chaos that has been caused by his own decisions, and a chaos that's threatening the lives of the people near him. So Jonah is alone. He's down in the darkness of the ship, sleeping, 100% unaware of what's going on. And the boat is rocking in the storms, up, down, left, right, up, down, left, right, over and over again. But Jonah is unaware. It's almost hard to imagine that Jonah is unaware, right? This is not uh, some luxury liner that he is on. <laughs> and I think you'd still feel this storm. Up, down, left, right, the boat keeps rocking. Up and down, left and right. The ship violently shakes. But yet Jonah is still unaware of what God is doing. The ship is threatening to come apart at the seams, but Jonah is unaware. Everyone around him will soon perish, 
from his selfish sins, but Jonah is unaware. And Jonah sleeps. Think about this. This this should stand out to us in the text. The prophet of God can't even see what God is doing. The prophet of God in the story can't tell what God is doing. He has become so blind to God's work in his life. He has become so calloused and so unaware that he is a danger to every person around him. Spiritually speaking, he's just completely zoned out. He's he's fully in that area of spiritual apathy. He he just can't even see what God is doing. He's going from point A to point B, and he's unaware that the world is shattering around him. In his own arrogance and in his own disobedience, he's dangerous. But in verse 6 here, he'll be shaken awake back to reality. Verse 6, the captain went to him and said, how can you be asleep? Get up, call on your God. He will take notice of us so we will not perish. The captain said, why aren't you praying? What are you doing? We're all all praying to all of our gods, Jonah. Get up. Verse 7, then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots, and it fell on Jonah. And casting lots is this weird biblical thing where, where they kind of like roll dice. It's a little, little gambling-ish, but they use it to kind of discern God's will, and God uses it here. Uh, and, it, and it says that whatever the, the lots they cast, blame Jonah. So God, God can use it, uh, and he does. So they ask him, verse 8, Tell us who is responsible for making this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you from? Can't you just imagine the sailors just just yelling out questions to him? What is going on? Who are you? We're going to die out here. Verse 9, he says in a response that, that almost seems laughable. He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Again, almost like you worship the Lord. You worship the Lord. Actually, that's, a, it's a, that's the NIV. You worship the Lord. The, the Hebrew says this phrase that's often used in the Old Testament of fearing the Lord, which means having a great reverence for the Lord. So Jonah says, I fear the Lord. No, you don't. No, you don't. You've run away. And then he, like he says it himself, the, the Lord who made the heavens and who made the sea and who made the dry land. And can't you just imagine the sailors being like, wait a minute, he made the sea? Why did you come on our boat? What are you doing, Jonah? You just said that he made this and then you kind of came on a boat with us? Verse 10, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? And then it says, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? 
So they needed some kind of escape. They've now found out it's Jonah's fault. So they ask him, what can we do uh, to have the sea calm down? What can we do so that we live through the rest of this day? The boat was going to break apart, so they desperately need an answer. And Jonah in verse 12 says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon us. At first, it seems kind of like a noble answer. right? It, it feels a little bit like, sacrifice me, and then you will all be safe. But is that all that Jonah could have said? What else would God have been pleased with? You know, interestingly enough, and in just a moment before they do toss him overboard, the sailors will pray to God, and it's the first time anyone's prayed to God in this entire chapter, this entire book. Jonah didn't. He got woken up in the middle of the night, but it doesn't say he prayed. He just, he just went up, up to the top of the ship. What if Jonah would have said, you know, I know what can make this storm stop. I'm going to pray to God and tell him that I'll go to Nineveh. I'm going to be faithful to what God has called me to do. Or maybe, maybe I'll just pray to God and say I'm sorry in the first place. Maybe I'll just repent to what I've done and I'll trust in that great forgiveness that I know that this God has. And I'll trust in that in my own life too. Or maybe he could have even said, hey, I'm just, I'll just jump overboard. But instead he says, no, pick me up. <laughs> you, all, you all do it. And, and murder is a big, big deal back then. That's, I mean, we kind of get this weird sense uh, back in time where we think maybe that's not a big deal, that you know, there's wars and stuff all the time, and it seems very violent. Murdering someone is a big deal. And it's a big deal in their cultures, too. And, and to the point where, verse 13, instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord. Again, the first prayer to God in this entire chapter. They cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you have pleased. Now we see that the pagan sailors on the ship are actually the ones who fear God. They are actually the God-fearing people that are on the ship. This, again, this should strike us as odd. <laughs> we have a prophet, and then we have these pagan sailors, and they're acting in ways that you would think is the opposite. Verse 15, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard into the raging sea, and it grew calm. 16, at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So the men toss in Jonah. They toss him in, and, and as they're tossing him, they pray for forgiveness for what they are doing. They pray to God, and uh, Jonah sinks, and the sea grows calm. And the sailors see 
um, what has been the result of, of Jonah's disobedience to God and the sailors, they offer sacrifices to God and they make vows to him. And, and there's a good reason to believe that this took some time because how they often would make sacrifices is a burnt offering. And if you imagine being on a wooden ship, uh, it's a kind of a bad idea, especially one that was just about to break apart. So, so there's reason to believe that the sailors probably sailed to land. And they still didn't forget what God did. And they got off their ship and they built an altar, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord, and it says they made vows to him that day. But Jonah's sinking now. So the question becomes, what does this mean for us today? It is not the most cheery of chapters. Uh, it could be the shortest of all short stories, if, if it ended right there. Generally, someone gets thrown in the ocean and starts sinking. That's the end of the story, right? Spoiler alert, you know that there's more coming. Um, don't want to upset you too much. Uh, the story's not done yet. God is not done with this story yet. But again, I think it can be so quick to judge Jonah and to think that he is just some utterly unlikable character and so different from us. Um, and that because of his sin, you know, he's become spiritually blind to what's going on. He's living this world of apathy out into the world, and he's leaving this incredible wake of destruction behind him. The other people that are in his world, the other people that are in his life, he's hurting them. Relationships are broken. Friendships are shattered and families are being torn apart. But even in the ways that we see ourselves in this story, even in those ways, there is good news here. There is good news for God's people in this chapter in the book of Jonah. Because typically sinking to the bottom of the ocean would end the story. Especially once you're swallowed by a giant fish. I can't think of any other story, maybe Pinocchio, but other than Pinocchio, where someone gets swallowed by a giant fish and it's not the end of the story. You see, Jonah made a decision to turn and run away from God. And this language stands out when you read it. So let me just emphasize something that you may have missed. Jonah turns away from God and it says he went down to Joppa. Now that's true. I mean, it was downhill to get to that city, but he went down to Joppa, and then he went down into the boat, and then he goes down into the water, and he is sinking, and he is sinking, and he is sinking, and he is further and further away from God, but it doesn't matter how far he sinks, because God's not done with Jonah yet. So that is the good news for us today, is that it doesn't matter how far you think you have sunk. You know, I, I was preparing this, this end of this sermon, and um, I just got the feeling that someone needed to hear that today. So if that hit you, maybe, maybe you got the little goosebumps, I call them God bumps, maybe you got a little something, uh, and it's God saying, hey, this part's for you. So pay attention. It doesn't matter how far you think you have sunk. 
God's not done with you yet. He wants to meet you right here in this church this morning. He wants to reach out to you and pull you out of wherever you have sunk down into. And my prayer is that you will just open up to him. Receive the rescuing that he has for you. And begin this process of reconciliation and healing, not just with God, but with the calamity that has been left behind.